Lord. Hello, everybody. This is Daniel Rorty, and I'm here with and Andrea uh, Zuber. Yep, Andrea Zuber. Okay. So uh, she is the executive director of ARC, correct? I'm the CEO for the ARC Minnesota. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. So um, I'm going to ask her a few questions, throwing a little bit of uh, uh, icebreakers in there too. Um, but uh, here we go. Uh, what connection to the disability community do you have? So I have uh, actually kind of grown up in the disability community. My parents were both uh, working at, in local government during the 1960s and 70s and 80s and 90s, and they were um, at the forefront of the deinstitutionalization movement in Minnesota. So growing up, the dinner table conversation in my house was all about how to make sure that people were able to live in community and live their best lives. And so when I graduated from college, I started out in the field as a um, direct support professional. I was a practitioner. I worked in residential group homes and day training and habilitation and supported employment. Did advocacy for the ARC 20 years ago. Left and, and did disability services at the local government level and then came back to the ARC Minnesota uh, two and a half years ago. Cool, cool. Uh, what is your passion with helping individuals with autism and other disabilities? My passion really lies around how we can shine a spotlight on the power and strength and capacity and wisdom and resiliency that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities have. And so I think that I think it's imperative that we that we focus on that narrative and that Correct. we make sure that that's how we're at how we're portraying um, what I've heard uh, from people who identify as having a disability or, or um, being autistic or having lived experience. That is how that's how they want to be portrayed, and that's and so I just feel like it is so important for us to really shine a spotlight on that, so that employers are excited to hire people with disabilities, so that landlords are excited to rent with disabilities so that neighbors are willing to befriend and care for um, people and I just I think it's so important that we focus on how we make sure that we really know and understand each other so that people have belonging and trust us. Cool yeah I actually have a neighbor that that like goes to the food shelf every week and like gives me some of the food and like sometimes she even like bakes for us She's a really cool neighbor, and she also is, like, basically what you're doing is, like, caring for people with disabilities. All her friends that she's with either have a physical disability or a mental disability, and she just bakes and cooks and, like, gets them food from the food shelf. It's just amazing. She's a sweetheart. I like her. Um, so I totally agree on that vision. I totally do. Um, what is life like working with people with disabilities? For me, it's been a, a lifelong love and journey and really coming to understand that I, as a 
as a professional, as an advocate, as somebody who doesn't identify with a disability, my role really needs to be from an, an ally support and, and really walking alongside and even behind people with disabilities and really letting them lead the way, uh, following their lead, let, relying on their experience. So I have to always make sure that I'm checking myself and recognizing I'm not the expert here, they're the expert. And I need to figure out how I can best support their hopes and dreams. Yeah. That, that, that really, wow, yeah, I, I hear you. That's a good one. Um, all right, so here's an icebreaker, the first icebreaker. If you had $10 million, what would you do with it and why? <laughs> you should have given me these questions ahead of time so that I could think about it. Oh, I, I did. I just I didn't know if you got the link or clicked on oh. it or anything. No, I guess I didn't realize it. No, okay. So what would I do with $10 million? So I think what I would do at this at this point in my life, the Arc Minnesota is really trying to launch a campaign to change the narrative around people with disabilities through storytelling and highlight their power and their passion and, and their capacity and, and presume competency and really show uh, visually through, through media and through billboards and through videos and through um, you know, television, really what people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are doing now, right? So yeah. they are um, going to college, they're living in their own home with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend, roommate. They're working and they have jobs that are being that and they're being paid livable wages. They want to, you know, fall in love and get married. And and so I don't think people in communities see that. I think people with disabilities are still hidden and separated and isolated in a lot of ways. And that lifestyle that I just laid out is People are with IDD are doing that, but it's not accessible to everybody. It and isn't. I think the more that people can see that happening, the more that people will understand that it's a reality and, and get behind it and be able to support it and figure out ways that we can make that accessible for more people. So I would like to put a ton of resources behind a campaign that would really be able to spotlight that for people with yeah, because I, I, I can't really legally get married anyway because it would affect my SSI benefits and all the other stuff, and it's, it's I totally agree with that. I would totally support your 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 cause if you did that. It would just, <laughs> I would be like one of your advisors or something. Oh, I'd totally be on the ball with that one. All um, right, I will follow up with you on that for sure. <laughs> We're going to make it real. Oh, yes, definitely. That would be awesome. All right. Uh, next question would be, uh, what would you like to see the government do to help people with disabilities thrive? I would like to see the government 
really embrace um, self-direction and self-determination and the principles of disability justice, where they're really paying attention to people who have intersecting identities, people with disabilities that are black, brown, and indigenous, and are multiply marginalized in other ways, and really, really focus on um, how to make sure that there is really, really available and accessible and affordable services and supports to people so that they are able to have belonging and they're able to thrive and they're able to live in equitable and just communities. I think that too often government focuses on kind of the, the, the dominant, predominant cultural norms and, and the systems that have been just ingrained and built on and, and added to over the centuries. And I almost feel like if we were really going to do things right, we would absolutely just need to start from scratch and figure out a way to put people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in a design role and let people with disabilities themselves co-create whatever that future is and really make sure, again, that they're leaning into those principles of disability justice and focusing on people who have all types of intersecting identities. Because right now, there's just a lot of one-size-fits-all models. Uh, that's, that's very true. Very true. Now, along that same question is a secondary question, which is, if you could talk to your, your political representative, what two or three things would you like them to do to help people in their circumstances? I would ask them to presume competency and to follow the lead of people with disabilities. Cool, cool. Um, if there was anything you could invent to make your life better or easier, what would it be and why? Is this another one of those icebreaker questions? Exactly. <laughs> anything I could invent to make my life better or easier. Invent. Well, right now, <laughs> I would love to invent a cure for the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the variants that are coming out of the, the, first, uh, the first wave that we had so that everybody would be able to get back to being together and yep. feeling good about that and comfortable about that and really trying to figure out how we can actually design a, a, a better, more holistic, just future for people. Exactly. That, that I'd actually do the exact same thing to be honest. Cause, uh, like it's just, it, it, the fact that now COVID is around, it was almost like when the SARS outbreak was, you know, for like way back. And it's like, now we have this second kind of variance of SARS, which is the COVID-19 thing. And it's just, it's crazy. So it's, I don't know. It, it, I, I'm totally on the ball with that one. I, I would love to somehow have a cure or 
some way to make it dormant or something, you know, that'd just be amazing. So, all right. Um, what would you like to see in your school district that could benefit or help disabled children thrive in school? I would like to see uh, kids in integrated classrooms instead of in a special separate classroom in the schools. I know that there has been, that's been an effort for decades and there are some pockets of, of um, education, some schools, some teachers that have been really, really good at, you know, making sure that kids are included in regular classroom education. But usually it takes, you know, a rock star parent that struggles and fights and, and, and just does everything they possibly can to make that a reality. And I think that I would love to see all teachers be able to support kids who have intellectual and developmental disabilities instead of special education teachers being the only ones that understand. And it's kind of back to that whole philosophy of we've kept people with disabilities too isolated and too segregated and separate for too long. So now the rest of society doesn't know them. They don't understand them. They don't think they know how to work with them. In reality, they're just people. And so I feel like a universal design, you know, uh, philosophy should be applied to the schools where all teachers understand and feel comfortable and are accepting of and able to work with students who have IDD. And that might require, you know, adjusting classroom sizes. It might it will require obviously accommodations and supports that are different, but I think it can be done in a way that uh, is inclusive and doesn't continue to separate kids because that's how we then end up seeing them separated when they're adults yeah so i can actually backstory that um uh when i was in maryland uh in middle school and in high school and freshman year um like it was it was a little segregated when it came to uh special ed uh a couple of the classes were a little integrated but like uh, mainly there was special ed teachers and then there was normal teachers and usually if anybody had special ed that they they had the option of co doing so like doing normal classes and that but then when i went uh i moved out of maryland and moved to virginia to the fairfax county public schools um they were integrated already and so a, a lot of my classes sophomore junior and senior year were all integrated um some of them were special ed like english class was mainly special ed but other classes were integrated so that I got to learn with other people that were not uh, diagnosed with an ID, I, IDD. So um, it was a lot nicer because then they understood that I had autism. They were really supportive. They helped me thrive in class. Um, sometimes I would return the favor by helping them uh, with, you know, certain things. So it's like, yeah, I totally agree that, you know, having a school system where, uh, teachers are are um, ready to take on that uh, challenge of uh, not. I wouldn't say challenge. I would say uh, responsibility of of uh, taking in people with IDD and then you know kind of integrating them into a basic uh, normal atmosphere so that they can so that they can understand the neurotypicals, but then the neurotypicals aren't afraid of like them or like you know like you said so yeah i totally agree yeah that's so 
perfectly said. Yeah. Like you just nailed it. And you, what you did was you just articulated why that's so important based on your own experience. Exactly. What it meant to you and did for you and what it can do for society. Okay. Like it yeah. is really, really big to make sure that we know and understand and support and care for each other. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that was really good to know that you kind of had that. Um, how would you like people to remember you in your life if you could choose something that is unique about you? Well, I think every day my, my intention as I start the day is that I can spread love and light to everyone that I meet. And so I hope that that is how I would be remembered, is that I was able to bring love and light into the lives of others. Nice. I like that. All right. So this is the last question. And then uh, I have a follow-up question, which is, you know, a normal follow-up. Uh, lastly, would you like to tell about our uh, uh, your history of... of um, the arc twin cities and how it became to be and also uh, 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 what you think of how this interview is going like your first impression to me and like how things are going here sure so in terms of the arc the arc is a statewide advocacy organization that promotes and protects the human rights of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and we're unique in that we support people with all types of intellectual and or developmental disabilities and all ages from birth to death. And it was started between 70 and 75 years ago, depending on which historian you're talking to, by a group of parents, mostly moms, who had children who were living in the large state hospitals and institutions around Minnesota and around the country because we also have a national chapter that we're affiliated with. And they wanted a better life for their children. And at that point in time, all roads led to institutionalization and segregation and isolation for their children. And so over the years, the ARC has, has morphed as we've worked to deinstitutionalize and close dollar institutions in Minnesota in, um, in the late 90s, finally, after, after, you know, over 20 years of work on that, 25 years of work on that. The ARC um, and the grassroots efforts really focused on building the home and community-based service delivery system and helping people, helping build that, helping people access it and navigate it and make sure that they could stay in that service delivery system to get the supports that they needed. And so we, we sort of grew with the needs and now we're at a point where when we look at how far we've come and where we need to go, we know we've come so far, but there's a lot of work to do. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about like those families that started the ARC 75 years ago. Would they believe that right now, today, 75 years later, people and you know babies and children and now adults that have intellectual and developmental disabilities themselves can actually design and co-create their future? They can design. They can design the service delivery system. They can design the life they want. They can design the future. I don't know if those parents could have dreamt that, but because of them, we're here. And so I believe now it is the time for the ARC Minnesota to stand behind people who have intellectual and developmental disabilities and let and take their lead and put them in that design seat to design 
not only the future of our organization, but the future of, of our, the disability services team in general. And in terms of how uh, I think this interview is going, it's great. This is the first time that you and I have got to meet in person, yes. and it's a pleasure to meet you. Definitely. And I think you uh, just being able to be out there and share these stories is going to really add to that movement and to that um, changing of the narrative and showing how uh, capable and strong and powerful and wise and resilient people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are. And yep. so I think, it's, um, I think it's super important and powerful work that you're doing. And it's been a pleasure to meet you. And I'm super excited to hold you into some of this future work as we go forward. If you're, I'm okay. totally on board to help with <laughs> anything you need. Um, uh, before I ask the last thing, um, everybody, this is, uh, uh, an interview through the Minnesota land program. Uh, it's, uh, uh, leaders on empowering this, uh, neurodevelopmental disabilities or something. I, 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 I seriously sometimes have difficulty remembering what it is, but um, I'm doing this for a project. I had this podcast uh, about uh, two years now, and now I'm using my podcast as a branch to reach out to people in the community and people with developmental disabilities to get their voices heard and have it be used as more of a beacon of hope and, and inspiration for those who want to uh, help those uh, with disability advocacy and disability justice. So... Um, just wanted to re re remember to say that on the interview. So the last question is, would you like to share information about you and if you want people to be able to reach out to you, uh, how they would hit you up, you know? So just if you want to sum up, you know, yourself and. Sure, absolutely. So the ARC Minnesota is on Twitter. We're on Facebook and our website is www.arcminnesota.org. We have a really uh, robust self-advocacy community. We have statewide self-advocacy groups that get together on a regular basis. They're open to everybody. They're free, and they do a lot of really cool different things and are primarily focused on really learning how to support each other, be leaders in their communities, um, have self-efficacy, and be able to make good informed decisions for themselves and lead the way into the future. So. Um, if you are a self-advocate and you're listening to this, I hope you check it out because we really want to get as many people into the fold as possible. And if you are a, a parent or a caregiver or a family member or a friend or an ally or a stakeholder in any other way, we have lots of information and resources and support available to people to help them get all the information that they need to make really good decisions and truly thrive across the social determinants of health. So help nice. you check us out. The uh, other thing I forgot to mention is two years ago, I actually was at the Arc Twin Cities teaching a cow tipping press class with uh, oh, yeah. Alicia, Alice, Alicia and uh, um, Kate were the ones that were running it. And so, yeah, I, I remember doing that and it was so much fun. I mean, getting to see Dan and um, uh, uh, what's her name? Dan and the Leah. The, Leah yeah, Leah. Uh, and then getting to meet Jeff and all the other people there, Barbara, um, and all them. Uh, it was just a fun class to teach, and it was the people there were just amazing. And we had to gear it more towards self advocacy, which was a lot of fun. 
uh, doing it that way. And it was uh, really a, a little more of a challenge, but it was a lot of fun at the end to, to kind of work with them. So again, I want to bounce by saying, uh, yeah, check them out. They're a really good resource, really good place. Um, uh, they're actually located uh, right off of 280 and University over there. Uh, if you ever need to uh, go to see them in person, uh, they're right there uh, close to the Memorial Blood Center area. So, um, yeah, check them out. Check them out, please. They're, they're a really good resource and a really good uh, uh, reliable uh, place to go for anything advocacy or IDD related. So, um, winding down, do you have any questions for me to answer? Uh, no, I don't think so. I will, I will say that we are moving our St. Paul office about a mile and a half down university. So we'll be on the corner of Fairview and university starting in February of 2022. So watch for, for the address change there. Cool. Cool. Yeah. You've been there for a while though. The, that one spot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. We've, I think they've been in that location since about 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to end the podcast by saying you're listening to Uniquely Us Guild podcast with your host, Danny Rorty, and the guest, Andrea Zuber. Uh, remember, be uniquely you so we can be uniquely us. Thank you for listening. And please share, follow, subscribe, whatever you want to do, and uh, get the word out. And uh, thank you, Andrea, for coming. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Yep. All right. Bye. See ya. Thank you.